Hello everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of The Who Review here on Spill Your Beans. Today we're talking about the latest Doctor Who episode, Survivors of the Flux. We are almost at the end of the series now, which is really exciting, but yeah, here we are. Let's talk about it. Um, there's a lot to break down in this episode. I know we say that every week, but this series is is really doing quite a lot and um, I'm quite excited to talk about this one. Um, there's a lot to say. There's a lot to discuss, and I'm just going to kind of go in-depth with how I feel now that I've given the episode a bit of a rewatch, and now that I've seen the reactions on Twitter and other social medias, it seems to be very split, and that is interesting to me. Um, so, as always, let's go through and break down the individual, uh, individual storylines, uh, starting with the Companions, then Carvanista and Bell, Vinda and the Ravagers, Unit, and then the Doctor and Tectayun. Um... I thought that'd be the best way to do it. We always kind of try and break down the different storylines. It's always a bit of a weird, difficult one um, with this series because there's so much going on all of the time. Um, but here we are. Let's give it our best shot. Um, so starting with the companions, uh, Dan, Yaz and Jericho are stuck in the 1900s, basically. They have been there for about three years and they are trying to track down um, some sort of artifact or piece of information that will not only help them protect the Earth in the future from an oncoming attack, but also um, get them back to the modern day somehow, in some sort of way, shape or form. That's the task that the 13th Doctor is revealed to have set via a hologram tape that she left for Yaz. And yeah, that's basically it. On paper, I really like this concept. I think it's an interesting idea to have the companions stuck in the past. Disconnecting them from the Doctor gives them room to breathe, but now we're at the back end of this series, I think I can kind of confidently say that I don't feel like we've got any more from any of these companions that I was at least hoping for. You know, we're five episodes out of six done now, and next week has got a lot to do in itself with the Doctor's own history, a little bit like how the Timeless Children did. I feel like we're not going to get as much development as we may have hoped for. I was really hoping Yaz would get a lot to do this series, and although she did take a more leadership role, and she's definitely changed as a character since the last season, I have to say the companion stuff I was a bit bored by. In its own right, it works really well. It's not in any way, like, too dull, I guess. It's got some interesting sort of bits in there. A few tropes that I've seen before in, like, Marvel, which is not a bad thing. I use trope very flippantly um, as a positive and or negative thing. I remember watching it the first time and noticing that the sort of cyanide thing with the snake tattoo, very reminiscent of the first Captain America with, uh, like, Hydra as like an underground organisation, and especially with the Grand Serpent taking over UNIP, which we'll talk about in a bit, I thought that was very reminiscent again of Hydra and S.H.I.E.L.D. in the Marvel Universe. So it's interesting to see these ideas played within Doctor Who a little bit, and also playing with that sort of Indiana Jones style thing. It would have been a bit more fun, I think, to spend more time with the kind of temple traps and stuff, do a proper full Indiana Jones style sequence, which is kind of what I was hoping for when I saw that clip in the trailer. Um, Alas, we got a kebab joke out of it, and that was probably it. Um, they venture all over the world, and to be honest, their story doesn't make a huge amount of sense. I like some bits of it, and I like the aesthetic of the era, so there's something there. But for me personally, I think when compared to what they could have done with this and the potential that they had, it kind of does get to me that they didn't really explore that a lot more, especially more in the Indiana Jones kind of trap-style scenario. I think the problem with this is, is it's a great idea that isn't entirely fully developed to the best of its possibilities, but it's a solid idea, and it works within the episode. But the problem is, you've got the history of Unit, you've got the return of Kate Stewart, you've got Tectune, you've got the Doctor's own personal history again, and you've got whatever the hell's going on with 
the Lupari, and of course the Ravagers as well. So this is probably the weakest part of the plot because it's a plot that doesn't get resolved. It just sort of does its own thing for a bit and it feels very disjointed. One minute they're looking to um, save the Earth in the future and have something translated so they can work out what date it's going to be and then they're trying to get back to the modern day by using Carvanista and um, the Joseph Williamson, of course, who I will re reiterate once again, is obviously growing on me now that his story's being explained, but he's probably my least favourite character this whole season. He's just so mildly irritating throughout this whole thing, and it's not a bad thing, of course. I just, my God, it just really sticks to me, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm actually sick of this guy. He's getting better, and I'm sure he'll have a more of a bigger role to play next time, but as someone who doesn't really particularly care about the history of that character in, uh, in history or the Williamson Tunnels generally, despite the fact that it's a really cool idea, it's not explored enough, and I feel like the companion stuff, they wasted more time with the Great Wall of China stuff and the painting on the floor, only for Carvanista to go, oh, well, I don't have time travel. Like, that entire segment with with them and the, um, the seer, the hermit seer guy who was, like, the comic relief, not very good comic relief, but comic relief all the same that entire segment with that and the grand um the great wall of china and the painting and carvanista trying to get his attention it was just pointless like there was a few things that just didn't really make sense and obviously yeah they're trying to get back to the future the whole thing about the world ending is obviously probably going to be explained next time we know that one of the doors is going to lead to the modern day and that's going to be where the apocalypse or whatever the attack is that's when that's going to be we know that from the next time trailer and some promotional photos as well However, the stuff about getting back to the modern day is it's just kind of disjointed and weird, and I think when you're mixing this episode with so many different concepts, it kind of feels a bit weird and redundant. Um, like, the stuff with Yazdan and Jericho is decent, but then why do they have to see a seer? Why do they have to paint all that stuff on the floor? Because it's already an unrealistic concept, because they painted that stuff there, even if Carvanista could travel back through time to go and pick them up. It's like, they, weren't even, they didn't even stay at the Great Wall of China. They didn't even stay there. Like, they left. The next scene that we see from them is them on the boat, sailing away. So if Carver needs to go goes back in time to the Great Wall of China, it's like, what's the point? I know he can kind of track Dan, that is the point, but it's like, I don't know, it's just weird things that aren't really explained or divulged, and since Carver needs to can't even go back in time, it feels like a totally redundant story point that could have been utilised a lot better for something a bit more important. Maybe they're trying to get this stuff translated, and then Joseph Williamson just pops on the, the train, or the ferry or something that they're on. You don't have to have the whole scene with the, the comic relief seer and the contacting Carvanista from the Great Wall of China. You didn't have to have any of that. You could have had more Indiana Jones style antics with the, the temple and trying to find the artifact. And then, I don't know, you had the relevance of the, oh, the Grand Serpent people are sort of knocking about in this time period as well, but that wasn't really divulged in the unit stuff. It kind of feels disjointed and I know it's part five or six and i know it's one big overarching story but my worry is they've only got an hour next week to wrap this stuff up and if they don't get it wrapped up it's going to be really weird and disjointed and i can't tell whether it's oh we'll wait and see and see if that pays off because that's what i've been saying all series is oh there's sort of a lot of stuff going on that i'm like oh we'll see if that pays off and i'm worried now five episodes in out of six that we're not going to get some things paid off and it's not going to be as successful as we really wanted it to be don't get me wrong, this is probably my favourite Chibnall era series, like 100%. However, I can't deny that I'm a little bit, I don't know, distasted by this sort of 
it's cramming a lot in. I don't think it's too bad that they're putting a lot into it. I think it's an excellent idea. I just think, especially with this episode and the companion stuff, it felt like they were just, they didn't really know what they were doing with it. And a little bit more thought and just going, yeah, we can trim that story out. We can, there's like, if it's a 50 minute episode and there's so much, so much going on, you can remove the bit about them trying to contact Carvanista. You can remove the bit about them seeing the seer. The idea is that they've travelled the globe and for different things, and that's perfectly valid, that's fine, that's enjoyable, but you could have played more on the sort of temple stuff, you could have played more on, just just less on the kind of contacting Carvanista thing, because it just didn't go anywhere and wasn't in any way irrelevant, it was shrugged off on the next line. And yeah, like, it's implying that the paint stayed there for thousands of years as well, thousands of years, a hundred years, it's implying the paint stayed there perfectly intact for a hundred years and was only just spotted at the right time in the modern day that wouldn't conflict with what's already been happening in the previous stories it's just a very convenient plot point that wasn't even needed and didn't go anywhere and it's like oh i wish they just got rid of that that being said i did like the interactions between the companions i thought the scene with the hologram of 13 was very good i really liked that the dialogue between them i just really hope that there's some sort of decent reunion at least let them hug or something like show some sort of character development and impact yaz has been there for three years she should be over the moon when she next sees the, uh, sees the Doctor, and I'm worried she'll just sort of stand there and be like, oh, hi. <laughs> and I really want that character development. I really want... I'm not saying that I want them to, like, hook up or anything. I know a lot of people are very phasmin' about that. I don't mind either way. If they do, great. If they don't, whatever. I would like them to, in a way, because it sort of shows development, and it explains a lot of the one-off lines that Yaz has been given and the sort of glances she looks at um, the Doctor with. It's an idea that I would like to see played around with, maybe, but I think it's getting a bit late now that if they don't do it in the next episode, this whole Phasmin thing, or whether they just have some sort of relevance to Yaz fancying the Doctor or being, you know, having that sort of feeling, or whether it's just a friendship thing, either way, there needs to be some sort of normal human interaction for that. They've been trapped in the 1900s for years. By the end of this episode, there needs to be a very impactful reunion otherwise this whole time displacement thing will fall apart and i'm really hoping it doesn't because it has potential you know look how yaz was after being left for 10 months in the modern day without the doctor and now she's in the 1900s for three years no family no nothing just stuck there without the doctor they might not even get home when she sees the doctor when everything's back to normal like that should be a fantastic reunion but we'll wait and see we'll wait and see till next week um Anyway, yeah, I think there's some great bits in there, but it, it, it's very iffy for me. Um, so we'll see where that goes next week. Carvanista and Bell. Very, very brief storyline, this one. Um, Carvanista, one of the ships just sort of floats off. It's not really explained why, again. I think this story, uh, this episode, if anything, has a lot of those issues that I was worried would rear their head towards the end of this series. It's a good episode. I'm not one of the people who are sitting there going, this is absolute dog shit, this is the, the, one of the worst Doctor Who. No, it, it's, actually, it's, got a lot, it's got a lot going for it, in my opinion. I quite like a lot about it, but one of the things that I wasn't super keen on is just these nitpicky things. These little weird plot holes that don't really make much sense. Like, why is one of the Lupari ships just floating off? Was there an attack? Was it the Flux? Was there something going on? We haven't really thought about that entire fleet since episode 1 and 2, and it's not really explained too well. So... I don't know. I'm kind of hoping for something a bit like that. But then, yeah, 
a ship floats off and they have to bring back Bell, which is a decent idea. I do like that because obviously there was a, should be a reason why Bell has got a Lupari ship other than just reusing the same set. I'm glad it was utilised. I'm glad it wasn't just ignored. Um, it makes a lot of sense and I'm glad they brought that back together. So that worked pretty well and having Bell and Carvanista paired together it's quite an interesting one. Obviously brings her towards Earth. Um, Vinda will probably end up towards Earth in the next episode as with all the other main characters. So there's going to be nice... A nice sort of joining of hands in the next episode, which I think might be quite fun. But we'll see where that goes. I like the idea that them two are sort of together on the same ship now fighting against Suntarans. Makes a bit of sense. I like it. Next we've got Vinda and the Ravagers. Um, I love the Ravagers. I think they are brilliant characters. Swarm and Azor, they always have been in this series. And I'm pretty sure they'll, they'll go down as one of my favourites. My only worry here is they are a little bit underutilised. I think they're brilliant concepts and I think they look incredible, they act incredibly, the, the characters, the actors who play these characters are fantastic. And I'm so excited to see more of them next episode, but I do worry that they are being a bit underutilised. Episodes 1 and 2, and I guess 3 as well, did a lot with these characters and I think having them not in this episode very much after a week of them basically not appearing at all in Village of the Angels it was a strange decision when there's only six episodes in the series because I just, I want more time with them. I want to really flesh them out as characters and I worry that they are going to get killed off or thrown away quite easily next time. I've got a lot of thoughts about the general overarching theme of this series and Chibnall's era as a whole, which I'll talk about, talk about towards the end of this before we go to Twitter. Um, but this, this sort of ties into that where, you know, it, part of me is like, Oh, I want more of Chibnall's stuff because I really want to see what he could do with this, give him more time. But part of me is like, well, it's it's fine, it doesn't matter. Because like these, these characters could disappear and come back in the future, but I don't think Russell will ever bring them back. I don't think anyone else will ever bring them back. They're fantastic villains, but they're just not going to be used well in the future. I just don't think they'll ever come back or be redone. I don't know. There's stuff there, there's interesting ideas. I just don't think it's going to be played around with so i really hope they get utilized properly in the next episode they become real hard-hitting villains with a lot of impact and have a good ending where they can leave and if they don't ever come back at least they've made their impression i really like them as characters and i really love what they're doing with them the show um their interaction with vinda was interesting but it was a very brief interaction before he gets sent into the passenger world dimension thing meets die of course um very strange story point. I don't know why Vinda was even there. It was interesting to see the stuff from Village of the Angels utilised the, um, the stealing survivors kind of thing, the survivors of the Flux, uh, if you will, and using them in the passengers and like, creating this sort of use of space and time to build a psychic link between the Ravagers and 13 so they can sort of basically teleport to her in this outer universe dimension thing so that's quite interesting i like that you know that works pretty well for me in terms of a plot point it makes sense i think there's a lot of filler around it and i have to be honest about vinda i am actually a bit disappointed i i really liked vinda as a character in the first couple episodes but other than episode three where they gave him like some actual stuff to do and they showed his backstory and stuff i feel like there's just nothing about this character i feel more for jericho than i do for vinda i care more about bell than vinda and bell's only been in it since what episode three she's only been in three weeks and she's already made more of an impression to me than vinda has which is a bit worrying because vinda was the big selling point of the series they were like oh there's dan there's yaz and there's also this mysterious vinda who's this gonna be it's like Everyone's going to be like, oh, he's like the new Captain Jack. He'll appear in the future. Like, he's going to be one of these recurring friends of the Doctor. 
I just don't feel any of that from him. I'd honestly prefer to see Belle again than I would Vinder. So unless they do end up being the Doctor's parents, like in the sort of theory stuff, then, you know, they're probably a bit useless. We'll see where it goes, obviously, and I partially kind of hope that's where it goes in a way, because it would make them somewhat interesting, but at the same time, I don't want that to happen, because I'm like, well, Vinder, if he's officially going to be named the Doctor's, like, dad, there's just nothing really about him other than, like, a, an easy backstory, and then... Yeah, you know, it is what it is. It's it's nothing bad, but it, I just don't care for the guy as much as I was hoping to by episode 5. Especially when there's only 6 episodes. Anyway, I think that's all I want to say about that. So we're going to move on to Unit. And this is where I start to really praise the episode. These last two points, Unit, Doctor and Tectian, these are the bits that I love the most. And it also happens to be the most controversial. So Unit, um, the, the Grand Serpent infiltrating Unit and becoming its sort of, like, benefactor almost throughout the years, um, up until the modern day, is brilliant. I really, really, really love that plot point. I loved the introduction of the characters, the sort of, like, when they're, like, shooting birds and stuff, the mention of extraterrestrial intelligence and that sort of thing. The founding of UNIT is such an exciting concept. And then, obviously, we see the old original, or maybe not the original, but, like, a familiar-looking UNIT base with the fantastically gorgeous sign. We hear the Brigadier left with Stuart on the overcom, and instantly, everyone kicks off about it. And I don't understand why. I know the unit dating controversy exists, and everyone's like, well, they, they, they made him like a, a, a corporal, even though he's supposed to be like a colonel or a brigadier by this time. Like, the unit dating controversy was so convoluted and bad anyway, that, yeah, this might throw a spanner in the works and make it a little bit more difficult, but, like, it doesn't really matter. It's a, it's a, and I know I've been nitpicking this episode, but my god, that is such a nitpick. Like, yeah, it's daft and it's funny, but then why don't just, just let it become a joke at this point? The continuity with Unit and the Brigadier specifically has been messed up since Mordred Undead. So why would you be complaining about it now for the sake of it? It's like... Oh, Chibnall's made it even more complicated, but no, it was already complicated. This adds a bit of a spanner in the works, but it's a throwaway line that can just be ignored, if need be. There's a nice reference to the War Machines there, which is a really strange reference to have in the 2021 episode, you know, all the way back to the 60s, but it, for diehard fans, if you spotted it, it's a great reference. Obviously, got the Brigadier, got a lot of love, and I love seeing the classic uniforms. I just think the aesthetic of that era of unit is gorgeous, the big, fancy analog, like, computer machine, um, mixed with all sorts of stuff. I thought it was that overpowered it for me, is that, like, I don't care about whether the, the Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart is supposed to be a Brigadier or Corporal or Colonel at this point, or whether he's just, like, a teenage boy. I don't care, to be quite honest. I just love the aesthetic of this era of unit, and I can look past those very nitpicky points for the sake of just enjoying it. This is a very obscure reference, but Red Dwarf fans might understand this one. There's an episode in Red Dwarf called Skipper um, in series 12, one of the most recent series, where one of the main characters goes back and they use all the original uniforms from the very first series back in the 80s. They use the original uniforms, they go back to one of the original sets, and it looks incredible. And it's such a weird, nostalgic, but beautiful feeling seeing those classic 80s costumes done in the modern day with these actors. And I sort of got the same reaction here from UNIT, where it's like, oh, these are the classic UNIT uniforms, the big analogue computers, there's the big, gorgeous building aesthetic, the sign, 
everything about it was just fascinating and I really, really liked that aesthetic. So, yeah, the Brigadier thing, you know, about, you know, Lethbridge Stewart is just a bit of a mess, but who cares in the grand scheme of things? I think that's a lot of my feeling with this episode. If you care a lot about Doctor Who canon and lore, and you're so, like, entwined with it that it's very personal to you, I can understand why you wouldn't like this episode, or Chibnall's era as a whole, and would maybe even go as far to say you want to wipe it from canon, even though, I don't know about that. But for me, like, I do like additions to Doctor Who lore, I do like additions to Doctor Who canon. If it doesn't make sense and it doesn't work, well... Welcome to the world of Doctor Who. Big Finish has been going for years. We don't know whether that's canon or not. Everyone was arguing about Mary Shelley last year. There's always going to be something that doesn't make any sense in Doctor Who continuity. Most of it does. So stick with the majority and ignore the few bits that don't really line up. Even if, uh, you know, the occasional line slip-up might be easily, like, um, ventured away from. Or... You know, just the simple thing of not exploring the Doctor's past, for example, is something that a lot of people probably agree with. But to be quite honest, I was entertained. I can't deny it. I have to, you know, a lot of people think, oh, it's shit, oh, it's really good. For me, yeah, if I'm being really, really critical about it, I could pick all holes in this episode, not just with Unit, but with other stuff. But generally, I just, you know, it's nice to watch Doctor Who week by week again, and actually be excited for it. And that's my perspective. I don't love it. I don't hate it. I'm kind of in the middle with this series in terms of quality and writing, dialogue, all that sort of thing. But one thing I really love about this series is that it, it takes me back to being a kid again. And that's all I've ever wanted from Doctor Who is to have that sort of feeling, that reactionary feeling where it's new stories, but I see stuff that I recognise and I love it. And that's what this episode and this series has done for me. Series 11, I enjoyed it, but it didn't take me back to being a kid. It was new, it was different, it wasn't quite perfect. Series 12 was the same. It had a few more of those little sort of member berry type things with Gallifrey, the master, and it had some interesting concepts with the timeless children that I'm still a fan of. This series, the lore, yeah, you might hate it, but I, I just love seeing, like, this sort of stuff because whether it works in the continuity, whether it's well-written, whether it's delivered well, or all them sort of factors aside of me being like a critic, I can't deny that I'm excited to watch Doctor Who every week, which wasn't really the case the last couple years. Yeah, obviously I look forward to it because I'm watching it, but sometimes it felt like a necessity. Like when an episode like Praxius would come around, I'd be like, oh, I don't really care about watching this, but I guess because it's Doctor Who, I have to watch it. Whereas with Flux, every single episode, Every single scene, I feel like I have to be glued to the screen to, like, get everything. And I actually like that. For Chibnall, at least, it's a strength. This is definitely, easily, his best series. So far. And I'm, like, I'm watching it week by week, and I'm picking up every detail. I'm watching every single scene with my eyes glued to the screen. There's not a point where I'm like, oh, I'll go on my phone and check my notifications. I'm genuinely just glued to it. I can't even live tweet sometimes unless something massive happens. It's... Absolutely just, I, I I understand people's concerns, I understand people's complaints and why people absolutely despise this episode. I totally understand that. The quality of the dialogue and the characters and the way things are revealed and how it's done and the changes it makes to lore, there's a lot of levels where you can hate it. But there's also a lot of levels where you can enjoy it. And I think there's a lot of controversy and arguments in the Doctor Who like community at the moment, especially on Twitter. But the one thing I would say is that, personally, 
I am excited about Doctor Who every week, and for me, I haven't been able to say that for a good few years. So, whether my critical brain goes, oh yeah, this is not very good storytelling and I can't wait for Russell T. Davis to take over, the future of the show is totally open. Like, we know where it's going. We know Tribunal's only got four episodes left. Whittaker's only got four episodes left as her Doctor in this era. And then Russell takes over and we'll see where it goes from there. Probably in a slightly better direction in terms of writing quality. Which is just the matter of fact. Russell T. Davis is a very well-renowned TV writer. He has been for a long, long time. Chibnall's work is great, but it has can sometimes be hit and miss. I'm a fan of Whitaker era, but I think people fighting over what's good and what's bad, it's, it's personal preference. If I want to be a critic, I can say the dialogue here is shit, the acting here is shit, this character doesn't really do anything. But as a fan, I can't deny that I'm more excited about this than I was about series 12, series 11. I'm probably more, about, more excited about this than I was with series 10, despite the fact that series 10 is one of my favourite series. I don't think I've been this consistently excited every single week for Doctor Who since the last, I don't know, like, five, ten years. Which feels daft to say, but it's probably true. The shorter, conceptual, every story is important, everything's relevant to the overarching story idea is really interesting to me. How it ties up is a big factor in that, obviously, next week. But at the moment, I really love Doctor Who, and I can't deny that. You know, it's daft and it's stupid, and I don't feel like it's very professional of me to not be critiquing it, but... I'm enjoying it, what can I say? It's a daft family sci-fi show, it has been since the 60s, and I'm enjoying it. It's something I'm getting a lot out of every week, and it's something I look forward to sitting down with and having a pizza every Sunday, and I'm gonna miss it. I'm gonna miss it next week when it's not on. So, you know, there we go. We're not even talked about the Doctor and Tectorian yet, I went on a total ramble there about that, but... If you're still listening, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that sort of ramble. It's just a really weird time at the moment with Doctor Who and, and the fandom and Twitter and all that sort of thing. And it just, the matter of the fact is it doesn't matter. Some people like it for valid reasons. Some people don't like it for valid reasons. No one's opinion's wrong. And if you're able to enjoy it no matter what, then, you know, strength to you. I'm enjoying it no matter what. I can see bits of it and go, I don't like this. I hate bits of it. And I hate this. I hate that. There are bits that I really don't like about this series, generally, and I've talked about them in this episode, really. But, on the whole, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. And one thing I really like is the Doctor's history. So, let's talk about that, I guess. Oh, no, I tell you what, let's, let's just quickly touch on Kate Stewart and Grand Serpent. Love those scenes. Kate Stewart's brilliant. I wish they hadn't revealed it in the next time trailer. I made that point in my video. Um, the mention of Osgood was really satisfying, and the general performance from Gemma Redgrave is always brilliant as Kate Stewart. She's phenomenal. She's got so much gravitas when she's on screen and just delivers everything all of the time. She's just brilliant. Um, as is the Grand Serpent. Craig Parkinson is a brilliant actor, and my god, he's absolutely delivering as this new villain. Um, it's a shame him and Swarm aren't sort of one in the same, because there's a lot of new villains for this series, and... I love them, but I'd love to see more of them, um, and more of that sort of play around with, and they haven't really got enough room to breathe overall, but I like Craig Parkinson as the Grand Serpent, and I like him, like, messing with history and, like, disbanding unit. I like the fact that it wasn't Brexit, and people were just presuming because of one line about, in like, international funding being pulled or something. 
when in fact they probably did have this planned all along. What will be the? I, I, people said at the time, what's the point of even mentioning Unit if he didn't want to do anything with it, Chris Chibnall? You mentioned it, and Kate Stewart, because you knew at some point in his own era he'd want to bring them back, and this was the perfect time to do it. So I'm totally down. Anyway, let's talk about the Doctor and Tech team, the big factor of this story that everyone seems to probably want to talk about. Um, this is sort of make or break for a lot of people. Some people really love this, some people really hate it. I think on the whole, people love the unit stuff, despite the nitpicking. People weren't as keen on the companion stuff, because um, it's a bit all over the place. And then the Doctor and Tectian is honestly 50-50, I think, from what I've seen. Personally, you can probably tell, I, I like it. I think it's fine. I think it's enjoyable. Um, yeah, it is very much expositional. <laughs> but I like the aesthetic of it. I think the, the woman who played um, Tectium in this was brilliant. She had a fantastic performance on her. Um, and playing alongside Jodie, having um, the Ood there as well, I think was a really interesting idea. There's a lot played with, and I like the idea of this space station hiding between the two universes, sort of travelling from one to another whilst creating the flux. It is all over the place story-wise, and it definitely isn't as tightly packed and as well-written as I was expecting this series to end up being from episode one. However, that being said, I had a lot of fun with these scenes, a lot of the reveals and stuff. I was on the edge of my seat. I absolutely bloody adored it and even rewatching it some of the dialogue scenes are fantastic there's a fantastic one where Tectian talks about how her picking the doctor up and experimenting and all that sort of thing is very it's not very different from what the doctor does to her companions and i know there's obviously key differences Tectian like tortured the doctor and all that sort of thing to learn about regeneration the doctor doesn't do that to their companions but what they do do is this sort of the doctor made the point of that. Oh, you you can't you shouldn't be allowed to decide my path for me. I could have had a totally different life if you hadn't interfered, and that is exactly what the doctor is doing with every companion. Just look at Yaz for Christ's sake. Yaz would have been a very different person if the doctor was never there, and I think that's a really interesting point to make. And I'm kind of glad they made that connection. But there's dialogue like that which just hits hard. It works. There's a lot of techno babble in this, but if you ignore that and look past that. There's some great, like, emotional scenes between the Doctor and this almost mother-like character. Having a mother, adopted mother, of course, who you can't even remember, you've just been told about, who tortured you and owns this division thing that you've been trying to find all out about. It just sort of all comes at once and it all comes around full circle. And I really like that. As someone who was a fan of the Timeless Children, and still is a fan of the Timeless Children, it really is not as bad as people make out. I know it's a bit naff here and there, but it's no worse than any of the stuff from the Chibnall era. If we're moving away from dialogue, performance, storyline, etc., the actual lore and history of what the Timeless Children introduces, as well as this series, I think is so good. I genuinely love it. I love the concept of the Division. I love the ideas behind it. I love the uh, Fugitive Doctors. I love all that sort of thing. Depending on how many incarnations there were before Jodie, uh, or sorry, the, before the Doctor got their mind wiped, um, that'll obviously depend on my overall like for it. We, you know, when she says tens, hundreds, thousands, I'm like, oh, if there was thousands of incarnations, I don't think I'd be happy with that. Same with hundreds. If there was ten, <laughs> I'd be like, cool, because then there's like six Morbius Doctors, there's like Joe Martin's Doctor or something like that. There was definitely more than ten because you the Timeless Children and the Morbius Doctors and all that sort of thing, but if there's another, you know, you need to have a bit of wiggle rooms if you want to, like, cast a famous person as a Fugitive Doctor in the future, or, some, or a Division Doctor in the future, that would be the way to do it, but... I don't know, I guess, uh, I guess we'll wait and see where that goes to, but I have to say, I do like the lore stuff, I do love the whole 
actual cannon playing around in that. It's a big sandbox, and I really do like it. I've always been a, a person who doesn't want to see more about the Doctor's own personal history, in a way, but I'm glad, because it's not about the Doctor's time on Gallifrey with the Master and, you know, growing up in the world that we know. Um, it's talking about a time that we didn't even know existed, and the Doctor is also learning about. For once in the show, we're not looking at it from the companion's perspective, and I think that's the thing with this era, which kind of feels maybe a bit off for a lot of people, is usually we're from the perspective of Rose or Martha. Like, we know stuff because of the Doctor, yeah, sure. But we, you know, the Doctor usually has a good grasp on most situations, even if they're slowly working it out. With the fugitive stuff, with the timeless child, with all of that, the Doctor knows nothing about it. And she's so desperate to learn more, so angry and passionate and desperate to find out more. We're, we're sort of with her with that. We're like, we want to know more. We're as equally as frustrated as her. Whenever she goes off and goes, you know, oh, come on, like, I, I need I need to know this. Stop dallying around the answer. I'm like, okay, yeah, no, I agree. Stop dallying, dilly-dallying around the answer. Just tell us what it is, because at this point, I do want to know. And it'd be nice next week if this all gets wrapped up nicely in a bow. We don't know how many incarnations of the Doctor there was before, but let's say we've got the Timeless Children, we've got Joe Martin's Doctor. Hopefully reference the Morbius Doctors again, that would be fun. And then play off that, you know? Then sort of build into that and just define that as its own thing, and then we just don't have to address it. I love the concept that the Doctor could unlock hundreds of years of her life that she didn't even know existed and be a different character because of it. The you know Jodie having a sort of Time Lord Victorious kind of moment in the next episode would be very cool. I don't think it'll happen, and I know Jodie will just play it exactly the same. But I would love to see Jodie open the watch because the thing is with the the chameleon circuit, um, the chameleon arc. Sorry, not chameleon circuit. The chameleon arc. Um, you the second you open it, you remember everything. It's not like you're learning it and you have to read up about it. You just become that person again. So the Doctor's been living this life the entire time. They become themselves. They just unlock all of that as if nothing got taken away in the first place. So it's not like Jodie has to learn about the past of her character. She just becomes it. And that's what I want to see in this episode. I want to see the day saved by the Doctor, but the Doctor with all of their memories from the very, very beginning. I don't want any more mystery boxes for the next three episodes of specials. Wrap it up nicely in a bow deal with it quite well, and whatever weird and wacky changes to Doctor Who canon and lore you want to throw out there, go for it. I'm all for it because you know what, I'm excited to find out more, and I can't deny that, that's just a natural thought reaction, I'm just excited to hear more. Whether I agree with it or not, I'm not sure, we'll see, but so far I'm enjoying it and I can't deny that. I know a lot of people can get very easily upset with the changes to canon and all that sort of stuff, but I really... You know, I, I, I really like what they're doing so far, and I'm excited to see where it's going to go. Anyway, we've talked a lot about this episode and the sort of implications for um, Doctor Who in the future. Let's go over to Twitter, as we do every single week, to talk uh, to the people in the community. And this is going to be a very interesting one this week, I'm sure. Um, so, there are some comments regarding the episode we're going to see what people think some hot takes and some theories there's probably going to be a lot of theories there's probably going to be a lot of hot takes as well no doubt um how many have we got we've got about 19 i think christ okay um well let's go through as many as we can in the time we've got uh vitas varnas uh said my thought is if the doctor's affliction 
sorry, affiliation with the division was back when they were the Timeless Child slash the other. After thousands of years of adventures in multiple Time Lords, why now are they trying to capture them? Good point. I actually don't know. The same could be said about, you know, Tection interfering, um, all that sort of thing. But then the flux happened at a certain time, didn't it? Um, there's an interesting line which I think people aren't really thinking about where Swarm talks to Tection and goes, you released me, which implies that um, Swarm was released by Tection on purpose um, to wreak havoc. And then Tection created the flux to sort of wipe out that whole universe. Um, I don't know why that would be, but I think it's one of those things that maybe Tection got to the point of, right, the Doctor's interfered too much. And Tection is all-seeing. She knew about the Master telling the Doctor. So the Master asked the Doctor... Uh, the Doctor asks Tection, was everything the Master told me true? Who, Tection, how is she going to know what the Doctor's referring to there? We do, because we saw it. But unless Tection also saw it, she wouldn't know what she was referring to. Which implies to me that she was seeing it and knew what was happening. So was following the events. And maybe when she worked out about the... When the Doctor worked out about the Timeless Child and the Division and was starting to wreak havoc looking for the Division, obviously hunting down Carvanista, etc. That's the point where Tection was like, right, I've had enough of this. If the Doctor finds out what the Division did, which is what she says in this episode, if the Doctor finds out what the Division did, she'll keep hounding us forever until she finds us. So let's just wipe out this universe and move on. Which is an interesting idea, and which is obviously why they're trying to capture her, because she's making too much of a mess. I think that's kind of explained in the episode. It just requires a little bit of further reading and kind of connecting the dots yourselves and filling in the blanks that the episode doesn't do for you. It's a little bit kind of on the edge of poor writing, but it works, I think. Bones4918 says, I think it's the first true step down for Flux. Unfortunately, it's becoming clear that the episode count has been cut and the sixth episode count has really hurt this show's ability to set stuff up naturally. Unit probably should have been sprinkled throughout the series. Yeah, I'd agree. I honestly would have argued to have the Grand Serpent and Unit introduced last series, in series 12, as an overarching thing, as well as the Timeless Child stuff. So Flux could have had a bit more room to breathe with that sort of stuff, but yeah, I don't know. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting one, and I totally agree. I think everything is starting to feel crammed now, which is a worry. DCO754 says, I just hope they have enough time to tie up every storyline next week. The resolution of the division was a bit weak, in my opinion. A lot of, um, a lot of time I've had with Doctor Who. It sets the story beautifully, but rushes the conclusion. Uh, it was very good, though. Amazing series. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of a thing. It's starting to feel a bit more rushed now, but it's still decent, in my opinion. Disciple of Brad says, fantastic episode, same as all of Flux, uh, Jodie bossing the episode, the companions in Jericho going on an adventure, that could easily be a series itself, and the ending had me on the edge of my seat. One thing this series has consistently done is make me thrilled to be a Doctor Who fan, and I totally agree. Um, the, the Jericho companion stuff, I don't necessarily agree with that. I feel like it's definitely something Big Finish are probably rubbing their hands together for, but generally, um, yeah, I'm excited to be a Doctor Who fan, and I'm excited with this series, even though I can pick out its flaws and be a bit nitpicky, as everyone can. I get enjoyment out of it. Some people don't, and that's valid, but I do, despite all of its flaws. I, I still think it's, it's nice. ID Rogers says, I don't consider myself a Doctor Who lore purist, so I'm enjoying the Timeless Child stuff. I think it opens up new opportunities, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the show and fans do with it. I hope Big Finish ready... I hope Big Finish really roll with it, uh, with uh, these Forgotten Doctors. Yeah, that'll be an interesting idea that they probably will play with in the future, but let's wait and see. Um, 
Just underscore Alexa says, the weakest episode of Flux, in all honesty, which unfortunately has has me concerned for the finale. Yeah, the finale's definitely going to be like the Timeless Children. It's definitely going to be similar to this, where it will split fans' opinions probably 50-50, I think. Um, which is very interesting. So, yeah. Um, Daniel McCrory says, honestly thought it was the weakest episode of the series. Just felt too many things that were happening, but not really going anywhere. Also, the resolution of the Doctor becoming an angel was... Far too quick. Yeah, I'd agree. A lot of the cliffhangers in this series have been way too like easily resolved. Like the whole thing of them opening, like getting taken by the flux and then just ending up in the Crimea, the weeping angel, and then just not being a weeping angel immediately was just like, uh, okay, like that's a bit daft. Some great imagery, but was done entirely for the imagery and the cliffhanger, opposed to the actual rev rev ugh, the resolution itself. Lonely Dalek 20 says, I think it was probably one of the strongest episodes of the Chibnall era. However, I just think he has to be careful how he executes all these story threads. There's a lot to wrap up, and I'm so intrigued to see how Russell T. Davis will address all that's happened in this era. I don't think he will. I think Russell will move on. I hope it's, like, tied up nicely with Chibnall's stuff. As much as I love it, I would like Russell to have a bit of a fresh start, and that would probably be the best option, I think, given everything that's happened over the last couple of years with Doctor Who's story and where it's gone and the kind of stuff it's revealed. Um, so yeah, I hope Russell doesn't really address it too much. I don't think he will. I think he has his own story to tell. Um, but yeah, no, we'll see. Jack Richardson said, By far and away the worst episode of the series, which I've really enjoyed up until this point. It took my least favourite parts of Once Upon Time and The Timeless Children and mashed them together. The lore reveals were really boring too and greatly shrunk the story's scope. I would, in some parts, agree. I think it's a totally fair and valid point. As I've said before, like, it's understandable why people would hate this. It's understandable why, under, ugh, <laughs> I can't even speak. It's understandable why people would hate this. It's understandable why people would sort of feel lukewarm towards this. It's understandable why people would like this. It's understandable why people would love this or feel neutral or any of the above. It's a totally fair point. Doctor Who's such an old show and you all go for it for different reasons. I just want to have fun and be excited for it and this series has made me excited for it. If I want to be critical, I can. I just can't really be arsed with it. I know I'm doing reviews and I'm doing all that sort of stuff, but yeah, it's not the best, but it's probably some of the strongest of Chibnall's era. The serialized story definitely works a lot better for his style of writing. Um, and despite some of the flaws that I'm not too keen on, I have to say, I personally am interested by the stuff, uh, the canon and the law and all that stuff that's being changed and updated and thrown about. I actually quite like that. I'm a fan of that. Um, but I can totally understand when people wouldn't be. So, yeah. I think we've covered basically everything. I mean, there's a lot more comments there, um, which are mostly just the same kind of thing where it's like, I either loved it or I hated it or, you know, this or that, which is, again, totally valid, totally fair. But I think we've kind of got the point across in this podcast about... Yeah, some people hate it, some people don't. There we go. Um, in terms of this podcast, this is obviously episode 5 of Flux. We'll be back next week with our full in-depth review of The Vanquishers. Probably this time next week. Um, my YouTube review will probably be going out on the Monday evening. Um, so you can look out for that. But in terms of um, the podcast here, it still probably will remain on next Wednesday for my full in-depth review of The Vanquishers. So that'll be quite exciting. And that'll be our last podcast for Doctor Who until New Year, where we'll be covering, of course, the New Year's Day special, which is currently untitled. So yeah. Um, obviously, check out my socials, all that sort of thing, at GB Sheard um, on Twitter and Instagram. 
you know my YouTube channel stuff probably and of course this podcast. Make sure you check out our film reviews which are going on every single week as well. Uh, we've got some really exciting stuff coming up. We've got a fantastic Star Wars episode coming this week which I'm so excited for you guys to see. And of course um, next week we've got a fantastic, beautiful, amazing Spider-Man related episode as well. So you can look forward for that as well. Um, thanks so much for listening to this episode. I'm going to take a bit of a break now because I have just been talking and waffling about Doctor Who canon for way longer than I'd ever recommend anyone doing in one sitting. So thank you all so much for listening. I will see you all later. Have a lovely day. Bye-bye.